Anyway, if you would take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Just want to echo what Peter was saying. Thank you so much to everyone that made it possible for uh, our Sunday fun day to go off well. Uh, and it did. And if I was going to stand up here and say everything was perfect, I'd be lying to you. Uh, Tim and uh, Sherry Morris are on vacation this week, but at the very, very end of the tractor pull, and there's a reason I'm going to uh, doing all this, they started to throw the weights back into the skid loader bucket, and a weight bounced off, came back, and guillotined off the end of his finger. Uh, not, the, not just the very end, like, you know, the fingernail, that's bad enough. So he will, for the rest of his life, have a short finger with no fingernail on it. Uh, anyway, he got to the hospital right away, and uh, they did not sew the end on. They put a graft on the end. They, the bone was chipped just slightly. I'm telling you all this because today my sermon title is This Little Light of Mine. I almost want to break into a, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know, we could do that. <laughs> anyway, we're not going to do that because you don't want me leading singing. But here's what, the next two sermons, today and next week, are my last two official sermons uh, before Mark gets here. And I want to challenge me and you, because Faye and I aren't going anywhere, uh, that we have a responsibility as individuals, as a church, Mark does as a pastor, I do as a pastor, to let our light shine. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 34 because Moses' face literally glowed. The glory of the Lord was glowing off of his face. The New Testament takes that passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and uses it to apply to us. And so I'm going to encourage you to, in this case, reflect your relationship with the Lord as a congregation, because it doesn't matter if I'm the pastor or Mark's the pastor, but we need to represent Christ, and we do, like Moses did when he came down from the mountain, and the next sermon is going to be, and I'm going to challenge you to use what God has given you, whether it's resources of energy and skills or whether it's the possessions God has given you, uh, I'm going to challenge you to use those for, the God, for God's glory and uh, to show the world who we are and who our God is. That's the most important part. Remember, in Exodus Moses had gone up into Mount Sinai. He had come down and God had cut out the stones and God had written on them the Ten Commandments and some other things. And Moses comes down and in his human anger, he throws down the tablets and shatters them. God was not happy with them. Anything we do, especially in our human anger, uh, there are consequences to it. So God tells Moses, eventually, come on back up, and this time, you have to cut out the stones. So how he did that, I do not know. It doesn't tell us. But here's the main thing. Moses had to cut them out because he broke them. But God, the second time, wrote the very words on the stone. 
There are people, I think I said this before in this series of sermons, but there are people that say, well, the Bible is just written by a bunch of men. Well, I'll guarantee you something that everyone knows about, the Ten Commandments, was not written by a man. Twice it was written by God, and not on a piece of paper or in parchment or vellum or any of those kinds, not even in clay. It was written in stone, and we still use that expression today. Is that written in stone, or is that in stone? Well, guess what? God gave the, the word in that specific instance in stone. And so Moses is up there, and we're going to pick this up now um, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, because Moses is now coming back with the second set of tablets that are written on um, the, the, the Ten Commandments are written on by God. It says in verse 29, it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. Be, uh, and he didn't know that it shone. And so the the sons of Israel and Aaron, they saw Moses' face shining and they were afraid to come near him. Moses is in the presence of God. And as he comes out of the presence of God, the glory of God, and I don't know exactly how this all worked, but the glory of God is radiating from his face. Think about it this way. We are not the sun. Jesus Christ is the sun. We are the moon. Our lives, our countenance, our attitudes, our actions, and our words should reflect the time we spend with God. Think about that. I don't care if it's a congregation as a whole or individual. By the way, a, a church is always made up of individual believers. But our life should shine in such a way that everyone else can see that we've been with God. Now... Is church, worship service, is that part of it, or a Bible study? The answer is, of course it is. It's God's command to meet together. On the other hand, that's not the only time we meet with God. We have our devotions, our prayer time, or just we're just worshiping God as we go through our day. We should be meeting with God, and when we meet with God, there should be a reflection in our lives should be on our faces. Now, I am not one that goes around, well, if you're a Christian, you should be smiling all the time. That's not reality. No, there are tough things in life, and there are hard things in life. And so you're not going to smile all the time. But your general overall demeanor should be one that reflects, I've been with God. I've been in His presence and my life has been affected by that. And people should see it. The fact is, here, I don't know what this looked like. I would like, I would like a, a video of this to see. Did, did it just kind of glow a little bit? Or was it so bright that the people couldn't even look at him? I think it might have been the second one. Don't know that for sure. But it says they were actually afraid of him. Can you imagine... If I walked in here this morning and my face was, you go, 
which is some kind of alien here or what it is. You can imagine it, it caught them by surprise. But why was it there? Because he was in the presence of God. And when he left the presence of God, his face was glowing. Now, that's the background for the Apostle Paul taking that passage. In, and now we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian uh, believers, and he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation from you or from you? He said, do I need a reference in those days? And it happens today. I grew up in a, a church denomination where if you were a member of one local church and you moved, they would give you a letter of recommendation. You take it to the next church, give it to the pastor, and you automatically became a member of that church. We don't do that here. I've had letters of recommendation from other churches, but we meet with the person and, and we talk to them and we don't just take it at face value. But there's nothing wrong with a reference. In fact, is in the past 34 years, I have filled out... Uh, Referrals for all kinds of things, college, mission trips, jobs, you name it, you're the pastor, you know, give a reference. I Praise the Lord, I can say that at least 95 of the references that I've filled out have been very positive. It's like, yeah, this would be a good guy. This is a good person. They will fit your needs. And I try to be an honest person, and there have been a few that... Ooh, I was wondering why they even asked me because uh, I, I couldn't give a glowing recommendation. But a letter of commendation says, we know this person and you can accept them into your group or whatever it happens to be. They did that back in those days. And remember, you couldn't look somebody's name up on the internet to see you know, if they were a rascal or not like you could do today. You can research anybody today. But back then, you had to have that letter that went with you. The Apostle Paul said, you know, do we have to pat ourselves on the back um, or do we need letters of commendation? And then he goes on, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He said, he wasn't against a letter of recommendation or commendation, but he said there's something more important, and that's your life. You are the ones that reflect our ministry. Last Sunday, uh, when we had the um, Sunday fun day, uh, the thing that made my day was at the tractor pull, not Tim cutting off his finger. That didn't make my day. Uh, but uh, there was a young lady, and the, the, the grandfather, I've known him for a long time, he brought his, son, his kids and his grandkids with, and they all had a great time. They looked like they had a family picnic out there. Um, and uh, one of the, the grandsons has a girlfriend who's never walked in her life. She's in a wheelchair. And he said, if, if she comes with, can we help her get on the tractor? Can we help her start the tractor, stop the tractor? And I'm like, absolutely you can do that. Now here's what made my day.
because there was somebody walking around and they were in first place at that point and they were kind of a little cocky. Like, I'm in first place, I'm gonna win. I looked at him, I know this, just a kid. I looked at him and said, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. You see that black tractor over there? You see that young lady sitting on there? She could beat the pants off of you. She gets on there and she beat him by 10 feet. I'm telling you, her, you could not get the smile off of her face the rest of the afternoon. You know what? Because when something happens in your life, not a tractor, a pole, that's just big kids' toys. But when something happens in your life and you have an encounter with God, it should reflect to everybody that sees you. It should make a difference. People should kind of wonder, what's with this person? By the way, I don't expect any of you to go looking like a light bulb. I don't think that's what I'm, I, that's not what I'm talking about. But your life should make a difference and people should be able to see it. You shouldn't have to say, I hope you don't do this. I'm a Christian, look at me. They should go, what is different with Paul? Or what is different with Mike? Or who, whoever it is. What is different? What's different about them? And when they ask, and when you have a conversation, you should be able to say, you know, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's changed my life. He's given me a whole new purpose. Everything has changed and it's a wonderful life in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all kinds of upheaval. And I will tell you, I'm, I won't mince words with this, the last year and a half has been the hardest of ministry of 34 years. I was hoping Mark wouldn't have to deal with this, but he's still going to have to deal with some of it. But it, it should be that our lives are just there. People should see it. And it doesn't have to do with what gender you are, what church you go to, you know, if you're a teacher or not a teacher or uh, a leadership, uh, in a leadership role or not in a leadership role, if you're young or old, shouldn't matter. People should know that you're different. Moses had that, and the Apostle Paul said, there's, there's a difference. He says, you, your very lives are what? says, you did your job. You, what do we do? We bring people to the Lord. At work, in a Sunday school class, when we get together and just have fellowship together, we ought to be encouraging each other, bringing people in the presence of God so that when they leave, they're a changed person, that their life actually shines. Uh, and that's what the Apostle Paul said. You're a letter written in your hearts, known and read by all men. They had a reputation, and it should be that way. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but uh, I didn't get home till 1.30 last night, and I still hadn't eaten supper at that point yet, but uh, something happened yesterday. I was in Maryland at a tractor pull, and um, the guy who was running it, let's just say he's a little rough around the edges, and that's putting it mildly. Uh, his language is not language that I have ever used in my life. His attitude sometimes is really lousy. But I walked up to him, and I've known him for years, and I just said hi to him, and uh, we, we chatted just a little bit. And then he says, yeah, I just buried my mom two days ago. 
And I could tell there was a sad look on his face. And uh, I've known his mom. She was a pit, spitfire. She would always come to the polls, and, and I would always walk up and talk to her a little bit. And I used to say, you had to be a spitfire to raise this guy, you know, if you're going to put up with him. Well, anyway, I could tell. And it, it, I've never seen him like that before. And so I talked to him for a few minutes, and I said, hey, could I have a word of prayer with you? And he said, no, but you can pray at the driver's meeting. Now, you've got to understand this guy, hearing that come out of his mouth, I would have never expected in a hundred years because that's not who he is. You know what, folks? I think, I think, and I hope you can say exactly the same thing for your life because I'm not, point, I'm not you know, putting me up front, but I hope I can be an, uh, an encouragement. His, your life ought to be such that wherever you go, people see a difference. And so he invited me to pray at the driver's meeting. I got to pray for him and his family. I got to pray for safety. And I got to thank God for sending Jesus Christ to shed his blood to pay for our sin. Man, you, you, it doesn't get much better than that because I would have never expected. That made my, just like the young lady's face glowing over here and, and smiling the rest that made my day, no matter whatever happened at the tractor pull. That made my day. You know what? When you've been with the Lord and you go away from, go, go away, go out of that and you go into the world, it should make a difference and people should see it. Shouldn't have to wear a sign. If you look at my cars, there are no Christian bumper stickers. There are no bumper stickers on my cars. I'm, they're not my favorite thing. But man, oh man, I can remember, I still wasn't a Christian, and I got passed going down the turnpike by a firebird that said, honk if you love Jesus, and he was doing 90 mile an hour, and I thought, and I wasn't even a Christian, and I'm like, man, is that what Christians act like? Seriously. So if you're going to put a bumper sticker on, make sure you live it out. That's all I'm telling you. You can put bumper stickers on if you want. I don't care. But I don't. Because I already know that sometimes I'm not a good reflection of God. And I sure don't want to uh, skew that any more than necessary. But it goes on to say in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 3, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us. The Apostle Paul knows that he's done his job. Not written with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, that is like the law, but on tablets of human hearts. See, obviously, the law was written on, in stone and on stone. But he says, we have something much higher than that. We have a life that's a living, breathing testimony to what God wants to do and has done in our lives. Oh, were the Ten Commandments a testimony to God's standards? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. But he says, you have a greater testimony than that. It's your very life that you live. I hope, whether I'm pastor here, which I won't be very much longer, or Mark's pastor here, that your lives are living, breathing testimony. That when you come to this church and you leave, you met with God. That you 
take the time on a daily, regular basis to meet with the Lord. And you're strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And it shows in your life and everybody else sees it. I pray that that would be the testimony, the reputation of you as well as Garden Chapel. It goes on in verse 4. Such confidence we have through, uh, through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not the letter, but the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. When Amy was uh, making a few comments up here, I didn't know it was going to fit. You didn't know what my sermon was. But you know what? The word adequacy, I would use sufficiency or provision. I got nothing. But it all comes from Christ. And when I meet with him, I reflect that. I'm, he's the sun, I'm the moon. And I challenge you. In fact, this, I, I'm going to tell you what the end of the sermon is. I'm going to challenge you to renew in your own hearts that you're going to meet with the Lord and then be that reflection. That there will be a glow in your life that makes a difference. that's the end of the sermon right there, but I got more to go yet. But that's where I'm going to come back to, is that what we have is not from ourselves. And we don't serve the letter of the law. We We don't live under the law. The law simply told us what God said is wrong, is what's sin. He said, for the letter kills. That's written on stone. It kills. See, the law could never bring you salvation. Couldn't even make you holy could just tell you who you were. And that was not a pretty sight. He said, you're a sinner. You don't meet God's standard. But he said, the Spirit. See, we don't live under the law. We live under the Spirit. We have something that they didn't have. And we need to be willing to fully allow God, the Holy Spirit, to work in us and through us. Now, follow along with me in verse 7. But if the ministry of death, that's the law, in letters engraved on stones, came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses, fading as it was. He said, when he gave the law, there was glory, and it was showing even on Moses' face, and the people couldn't intently look at him. The only thing I can see there is like when you look into a bright light, you just, you know, it just disorients you and you can't really see. It seems that way, but Moses, and we know this, because he didn't want to see that fading. I mean, he didn't want them to see the fading. He would put a veil over his face so they wouldn't see it fading. Now, Moses didn't care if they saw the the glow, but Moses didn't want the people to see the glory fading away, and so he would cover his face. I pray... I challenge that you never have to, and I'm not asking you to put a veil over your face, and I hope you don't, but that your life would simply be a reflection of your relationship with the Lord, and you don't have to worry about putting something over so people see you on a down day, or a day when you haven't been with the Lord, or a time when you're not reflecting the Lord. I pray that that's who we would be, and always be that way. 
But he said, hey, you know, verse, the ministry of death had glory shown on the face of Moses. It went away. He says, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even be more with glory? Think about that. If the ministry of condemnation, that was the law, it killed, remember that, has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Back then it was Moses, and it faded away. He's saying to us, you have something Moses couldn't even think about. The people there couldn't even comprehend. You have the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in you. And it should be reflected. Not because you have bumper stickers or signs or you have to tell people. They should see it. And it should give you opportunities to explain what God has done for you. It should be continuing on. See, we don't have a ministry of condemnation. The law brought that one. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The ministry of reconciliation comes with the Spirit. How do I know that? Because a few chapters later, it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he goes on to say, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Big old fancy word, reconciliation. Here's what it has to do with. God is never reconciled to us. Why? Because he has nothing to be reconciled. He's to totally perfect and holy. So there's nothing for him to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled to him. And our job, our ministry, is to reconcile other people with him. Reconciliation kind of goes this way. We are enemies of God and opposed to God. We are separated from him. Reconciliation changes that relationship so we are back in a friendly relationship with him, a close relationship with him. We start life separated. Our job is to bring other people. Guess what? If you have a ministry of reconciliation, which the Bible says we do, because if you trusted Christ, you've already been reconciled to God. But if you're going to do that, you're not going to do it because you're harsh, mean, nasty, and, and a horrible person to get along with and nobody wants to be around you. No, it's not going to work that way. You're going to be somebody like Moses or like Paul was talking about those. You're, you're the one that is a reflection. You're our commendation. See, your life is the starting point for the ministry of reconciliation. Don't just say, I'm going to throw doctrine at them, I'm going to give them tracts. No, your life's got to do that. And without that, you really have no ministry. Now, your life is not the ministry. Good works is not the ministry. But those types of things are what gives the platform for the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. That's what God has designed us to do. But unless we're close to the Lord, unless His glow is on us, we're not going to be able to do that. It's just not going to happen. The fact is, it ends this way in verse 10 and 11. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory. 
He's referring to the Old Testament law and Moses. He says it had glory. In this case, it has no glory. It sounds like contradiction. But all it's saying is what we have is so far above that the other one fades. So whatever it was on Moses' face is nothing. Nothing. They couldn't even look intently at him. But it's nothing compared to what God has given you and made possible in your life. And I challenge you, I, I pray this congregation is, is uh, Mark is going to lead you in places I never could. And I, that's not false humility. I believe that's what God is going to do. That's, that's, I hope that's what's going to happen, and I believe that's going to happen. And it's going to happen if you choose to allow God to work through you and His glory to be seen. Well, i got to go back and start the verse over again. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which faded away was with glory, much more that which remains in glory. No masks. No veils. Let's live for the Lord. Let's be close to Him and go out from there and everybody sees it. I don't have to hide. I don't have to make excuses for my bad behavior or my lousy attitude or my unwillingness to deal with people in their spiritual needs. No. Unveiled. Open book. That's what we should be. And I hope that, that, that you will recommit to that. But let's finish this chapter with some conclusions. Verse 12. Therefore, hey, you know, on the basis of what we just talked about, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. That word boldness is a word that's in some places in the Bible translated confidence. It comes from two Greek words. One means every, all, and any, and the other is speech. Here's what it comes down to. If you're bold, you will say any, all, and everything that needs to be spoken. You're not a know-it-all. You're just going to meet that need. In fact, it's this exact same word that says that we have the privilege of coming before the throne of grace with boldness or confidence. Because when you come to God in prayer, by the way, it might be one of those bad days you don't think you're shining all that well, you can come to the Lord. He says, "Come, bring it on. I don't care what, what you're dealing with. Bring it here. Every, any, and all things, bring it to me. You know why? He's the one that's adequate, not me. Man, I'm telling you, I am about the most inadequate person there is. And I know that. People go, oh, no, you're good at no, I know who I am, and I know what I am. It's Christ. I hope you see that exact same thing. There's no other way to do it. He said in verse 14, But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
And he's referring to the unbelieving Jewish people. He says, they still hear that, but they've still got a veil over their face. And he just takes that whole thing about Moses and, and turns it around and says, there's a veil over their face. Not only don't they see the glory of, of the, the covenant, they've got a veil over their face. They can't even see what's going on. You know what it says in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4? that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who believe not. Yeah. That's what's happening here. And that's where it all stems from this. It says, the world around us got a veil over their face. They, they can't see that glory. They got it over their face. It's not like Moses, it's the flip side of this. They got a veil. They need to see that. My job is to be that glow. Live that life, that attitude, those words, those actions that gives the gospel a grip in their lives. But it says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, I've seen people, I've had the privilege over the years of seeing someone get saved right in front of me. They come in my office or in a conversation and they leave. I'm going... That's like a whole totally different person. Oh, yeah, it was. But you could see it. You could see it. It wasn't just something intellectual. It literally was reflected in their face. We know that. Uh, the, the guy I was talking about uh, at the pool, I'd never seen him sad before. When I walked up to him, I'm like, something's wrong. I, didn't know, I had no clue that his mom had died. And he was very close to his mom. And by the end of the day, he comes up to me. It was late last night. He says, hey, do you marry people? <laughs> I knew where this was going. But anyway, I said, yeah, I, obviously I marry people. He says, well, would you marry me? I said, I, actually, I, he does, he, I didn't give him the whole scenario because I don't marry anybody with at least, without at least six or eight premarital counseling sessions. And uh, I said, actually, I just kind of limit it to people at the church and such as that. He said, okay. He said, I'm getting married. I don't know when he told me. And, and, but you know what? I'm like, I hope that something in there was a glow. Not the, I, I'm, I, I don't glow. I cover everything with a beard so that you don't have to see the ugly. But, but I hope something in my life is out there that makes a difference. I'm challenging you, challenging me, because this challenges me, because I don't always do this. I'll tell you that right now. But listen to the last couple of verses. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. The world thinks freedom is coming from do whatever you want to do. I guarantee you, you've got bad consequences on that one. But liberty in the Lord is freedom to do what is right for the first time in your life. And have the consequences of doing what is right. And it says, But we all with an unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the image. The same image, I'm sorry, from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord, the servant. You don't, look, you don't use a mirror to show somebody else something. You use a mirror to look at yourself. We're going to all stand. Put a mirror in front of yourself. Not a real mirror. 
but a spiritual one. And as I pray, you know what? I'm thinking it wouldn't be a bad idea to recommit my life to taking off the veil, looking at myself for who I am, making sure that I'm in God's presence so that when I leave, people know there's a difference. And I pray that for you as an individual, but also for us as a church as we move forward.